you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew chapter 6. It's good to be back into my home church. Good to be back with my home church family after being away. It's good to be away, but it is always good to come home. And it's good because I'm really excited to be able to get to preach consistently now a few sermons, which I'm very excited about. And so this week, I want to preach about the power of forgiving prayer. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the power of godly prayer. And then after that, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John again that I've been preaching through. And we're going to look at John chapter 10, and we're going to start to get into this idea and start studying out the idea of eternal security, the fact that God saves us and keeps us. But if you have your Bible, I want to read for us a a portion of Scripture, what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has gathered his disciples, and people have also gathered around him. And we're going to take it up in verse 9, and I'm going to read down to the end of verse 15. And I want you to think in terms of the power of forgiving prayer. And here is what the Word of God says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus continues, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to start this morning, I want to read you an account from someone's diary, but by show of hands, how many of you have heard of this woman's name before? Her name was Coy Tin Boone. Just put your hands up. So it looks like many, many here in the church have heard this. Let me read something that she wrote in her diary. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hatch clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room and where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to Germany, which had been defeated with the message that God forgives. And it was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiveness, forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Then the man continued, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. She thought to herself, no, he could not remember me. Then he went on, but since that time I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me from the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Farline. And again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? Coy Tinpoon says, I stood there. 
I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. My sister Betsy had died in that place, and could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has this prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment from God, but also as a daily experience. For since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitternesses remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. And I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can, be, can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. (laughs) Now, church, listen, that's a powerful story and one that likely many of you have ever heard, read, or heard before. I have. I grew up hearing this. But I don't know if you understand this picture of forgiveness I want us to get today and what Jesus talks about in our passage. Because Corinthian Boone continues in her biography of herself. She says, autobiography, for a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. (laughs) I wish I could say that, she writes. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, she says, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way, for every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago, so she was in her mid-60s, when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought, having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would have been child's play. But it wasn't. For weeks, I seethed inside. But at last, I asked God again to work his miracle in me. And again, it happened. First, the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. Then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night? 
crashing over this whole affair again. My friends, I thought, people I loved, if I had been stra- if they it had been strangers, I wouldn't have minded so much. I sat up and switched on the light. Father, I thought it was all forgiven. Please help me to do it. But the next night I woke up again. They talked so sweetly too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm, help me. And his help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran minister whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless nights. He said to me, up in the church tower is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell will keep on swinging. First ding and then dong, but slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. He said, I believe the same is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope and we stop pulling it. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if those old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while. But they're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And she writes, and so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversation, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less, and at last stopped altogether. So I discovered another secret of forgiveness, that we can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. Now I'm almost done. And still, he had more to teach me, even in this single episode, because many years later, in 1970, an American with whom I had shared this ding-dong principle came to visit me in Holland and met the very people that had been involved in this grievance. He said to me, aren't those the friends who let you down? Yes, he said a little smugly. And you can see it's all forgiven. And he said, by you, yes, Corey. But what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened. But I can prove it. And I went eagerly to my desk. I have it in black and white. I saved all the letters and I can show you where. Oh, Corey, my friend, slipped his arm around through mine and gently closed the drawer. Aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? And are the sins of your friends etched in black and white in your desk? For an anguishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away, forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. Give me grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to your glory. And she said, I did not go to sleep that night until I had gone through my desk and pulled out those letters, curling now with age, and fed them into all, fed them all into my little coal burning stove. And as the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. Forgive us our trespasses, 
That's what Jesus teaches us to pray in our passage. And as we forgive those who trespass against us, is what it concludes with. In the ashes, Corey writes, of those letters, I was seeing yet another facet of his mercy. What more he would teach me about forgiveness in the days ahead, I didn't know. But tonight's was good news enough. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he not only forgives them, he makes them as if they had never been. And so, this morning, as we consider the power of forgiving prayer, I want to give you two principles, and then help us go into our week and maybe practice this idea of forgiving prayer. The number one is this, prayer is God-centered. If you're going to learn the power of forgiving prayer, you need to realize that prayer is God-centered. In other words, we speak to God our Father in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. We have a relationship with Him. It's not some static, some dry, some formal, some legalistic thing. It's not some wishful thinking. No, we can go and say, Our Father. I have the joy. My mom and dad are visiting from Nova Scotia. And when my dad is here and we're with him, I can go to him and I go, Dad or, or Father. And, and I know I'm instantly there with him. I'm, I've got his attention. I have his ear. And we can talk and commune together. But secondly, there's a place for our requests in prayer. Notice, Jesus teaches and commands us to pray for our needs, but there's a God-given priority and pattern for those needs. So, prayer is God-centered. If you actually notice, you pray the first half of this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Half of the model prayer is focused on God. Before you ever get to your requests, That's because of something. Jesus teaches us to first pray with the right understanding of who God is. Next, he wants God's name to be reverenced. Hallowed be your name. Then we want his kingdom to come. And these are not abstract concepts, church. Listen to me. They're heartfelt desires to those who are truly God's children. Do you really want God's name to be reverenced? One thing I've learned from coming back to my home province, I don't know if it's the fishing culture, I don't know if it's because it's the rugged rock, but I do know that taking the Lord's name in vain is a pretty regular occurrence here in our province. And often people do it almost as easy as if they're talking. And I've learned not to be judgmental, I've learned not to be enforce my morality on others, but can sometimes I be guilty of becoming some numb to it that I don't even recognize it or hear it? You see, when you have God-focused prayer, it always reminds you God's name is not a curse word or the punchline of a joke. We are talking about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I am very close to my dad. I have a very intimate relationship with my dad, but I have to be honest, I have never, ever been in the habit of calling my dad by his first name. He's always my dad because that honors the position he holds. And so I've appreciated that. But notice that the first things we think about and talk about in our prayer as a means to prime us or refine us and prepare us to seek God about our needs is to call him our Father, hallowed be your name, your will be done, thy kingdom come, all of these types of things. This is because we will now have the right perspective on our needs. 
when we go to God and ask Him things. So namely, when we talk to God who is our Father and who loves us because of Christ, then our desires will be more about God's will for us than our will for us. Does that not sound familiar? Do you know how many times I've gone to God in prayer and I'm praying my will, not thy will? I'm telling God how I want my marriage to go or I want my kids to turn out or how I want this church to go or, you know, the fact that I'd like the Lord to give us the money so we can build our church now and I want to see churches planted in our city now instead of saying, Lord, this is our desire, but nevertheless, your will, not my will be done. And so when we've honored God and submitted to his way of provision, Jesus then brings us to these requests. And so my first point for us this morning is this. Only after you've honored God, then we can pray for our chief spiritual need. Only after you've worshipped God in prayer, are you in the right attitude and right way to give God your chief spiritual need. Notice what he says in our passage. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's so easy to say but so hard to unpack. Okay, this petition is connected to those last verses. Look at them, 14 and 15. They make you uncomfortable because Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father and, and forgive your trespasses. Now notice with me how Jesus teaches his disciples to think about sin. First, he uses the word debt. And forgive us our debts. He wants you to have this mental image. We have a pile of debt. A debt we continuously add to. A debt we can't and we could never repay. So Jesus wants us in prayer to think about the gospel. He actually wants you to think about the gospel. Two quotes that I found while I was studying this. One is from Wayne Grudem, where he says this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflict abounds to Satan's perverse delight. Oh my goodness, how I've seen that in families, in marriages, in friendships, where we just assume the worst about each other. And that's because we don't understand the power of the gospel in prayer to remind us of the debt that we have that we've been forgiven of. The second quote is from John Stott. Makes me even a little bit more uncomfortable. He says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it actually proves we've minimized our own. Those are profound statements. Do you really understand what both these men are saying to us this morning? You see, in our passage in Matthew 9 to 15, Jesus is teaching us the proof of our relationship with God is found in our desire to have that type of relationship with others. So think about that. See, the problem, I think, we, the reason why marriages are suffering today, why we're having family issues today, why we have a history of church splits and, and, and easily offended people and you talk to people and there's bitterness and victim victimatology and all of the things that goes with it is because so often we don't realize that our weak relationship with God is going to result in weak relationships with other people. 
When you have this strong relationship with God, you'll have strong relationship with other people. And by the way, Jesus is not teaching here that God only forgives us if we forgive others. Remember, the Bible can't contradict itself. If that were true, the gospel is a lie. What he is saying is unconditional love and forgiveness are essential to our salvation. We are unworthy and undeserving of God's love and forgiveness. But remember what Paul said in Romans 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, right? Though perhaps for a good person, one would maybe dare to die. But God shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the point of verse 14 and 15 is this. If we understand how precious it is to be forgiven, and if we get how much it costs Jesus and God the Father through His Spirit to forgive and save us, then the outworking of that knowledge and reality will be the extent we, we extend it toward others. And we want it so bad that now we go to God every day in prayer and we ask God to help us with it. So every day that you pray, is every time you pray every day, part of it saying, Lord, I need to be reminded of how much I'm forgiven so I can forgive what I'm going to have to forgive today. And I've noticed the reason why Corey Tin Boone's story has been so dear to me is because I've experienced what it is to have some very, very deep hurts happen to me. To have my childhood often in many ways robbed from me. To have my innocence stolen. To know what it is to, to feel the effects of abuse and other things and abandonment and all that kind of stuff and betrayal and all that type of stuff. And yet, you know what? In true for, tra transparency before you, I have found it easier to forgive people of some pretty traumatic stuff than sometimes to forgive the triteness that just happens in everyday life. And it cripples me. A bitter spirit, resentment, anger. And this is what God is trying to help us with. You see, think of the way we try to deal with our sin. As Christians, how often do we make excuses for it? How often do we, well, I have a short temper because I'm like my parents. Or you don't understand how my upbringing was, right? Or we blame others. You know, I'm just like my mom, or I'm just like my dad, or I'm just like my grandfather. If you knew who my siblings were, if you knew what kind of a boss I had, we can even blame God for our sin. Where were you, God, when this happened? And if you had not allowed that to happen, then we deny our sin, or we make up excuses for it. Well, I'm not, I didn't lie, I just stretched the truth, right? I didn't lie, I just left out certain things. All the ways we do it, right? We redefine our actions, we because they'll sound better. I was teasing and just picking on Dana a little bit, but uh, Sky was telling me about her and Shane did a surprise party uh, for Shane's daughter. And she said to me, yeah, Dana told me it wasn't about mine. She just wanted to surprise me. Right? And that funny how we, we sanitize everything and we do all this. And, and I was saying to Shane, that's just beautiful little code language for, you lied to your daughter. <laughs> Or, the other option we have in this passage is, every single day, we go to God, our Father, and we ask for mercy and grace. You see, Jesus' model of prayer in this is to every day ask God, our Father, for forgiveness of our sin. Here's the problem. I, I really think this is true of the Newfoundland Church. 
I really do. Across denominational lines. For too often we have preached a cheap salvation. Where everybody seems to have had this moment, this day, this date, this time, this testimony. Where they got saved and then they thought, boom, there it is. And now I'm just going to live my life. And they don't realize, no, boom, there it is. Now you're going to live out the gospel every single day of your life. It was not a one-time event. I am saved. I'm being saved. And I one day will be saved. And so every day I go to God and say, Lord, what I once asked you for back in June of 1993, I'm here to ask again. I still need more forgiveness. And so we don't swap our burdens. or We don't swap our burdens, which is what I think many Christians do. We give up the burden of sin, and then we take on another burden, which is the burden to try and stay sinlessly perfect. And you're never going to pull that off. You see, every day I go to God and I give Him another burden. And He never gets tired. He never gets bored. He never gets aggravated. He never gets offended. And see, that's why John 1.9 is so important. If we confess our sins... He, God, Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And oh, please, for those of you that teach in children or preach in churches, that is not a verse of evangelism. That's a verse written to Christians. That's the Apostle John telling Christians, this is your daily exercise. Remember how God taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, we pray not resting on our performance, but on God's love. Friends, listen to me. Our Father is always pleased when we obey. Yet, get this, yet He always loves us and He will always forgive us whether we obey or not. One of the greatest gifts, you've heard me give many testimonies about my dad. One of the greatest gifts my dad has ever given me is given me a good view of God. Because one of the things my dad has said to me when I've behaved myself and when I've rebelled greatly is, Stephen, no matter what, you'll always be my son. And you know what? If you're here this morning and you know Christ, no matter what, you are always going to be the son or daughter of God. And actually, as you get that, and as you re- we know what? Because my father told me that, you know what that done? Over time, that has motivated me far more to obey him and please him than any kind of threats. And so this is what we need. We are now justified and forgiven of God. Why? 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 Because of Jesus, not because of us. Our standing with God is not based on our struggle for Jesus, but on Jesus' finished struggle for us. That's what you and I have. And so now we can pray for forgiveness every day. And we can say, Lord, I'm here again asking for more forgiveness from sin because of Jesus. And we will want to ask that same God who declares us right with Him to strengthen us to live like that with others. And that's where you find your power in forgiving prayer. Think about forgiveness. Folks, listen. Jesus doesn't say forgiving those who have seriously hurt us is easy. I'm here to tell you it's one of the most challenging assignments God is going to give you. And merely having a desire to obey God or saying the right words does not necessarily accomplish the task. That's why it took so long to read the Corey Tin Boone story to you. Old memories. 
I'm back in my home province where all the things that happened to me in my childhood are all around me. And you'd be shocked. A song on the radio, a place at the mall, a place somewhere in Barring Park, somewhere I can have a Vietnam flashback instantly to something that happened to me. And old memories and old pains and old betrayals will always come up there. But you see, forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgive us our debts. That means to absorb the cost of what's been done. So when you and I forgive, let's make sure we're saying, we understand what we're saying. When Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've trespassed against us, here's what we're saying. I will not dwell on this incident. Forgiving someone means I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Are you hearing me, couples and moms and dads? That's what real forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't, okay, I accept your apology until you screw up and then I've got a whole buffet of past offenses to show you. Forgiveness means I will not talk to others about this incident. Whew. Now we're starting to tread on toes, aren't we? Forgiveness means I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. But folks, listen, forgiveness is not peace at all cost. I want you to understand that. It does not mean staying in an abusive situation. It does not mean Jesus is teaching us that we ignore what's happening and that all is evil is okay. Forgiveness means... We are following the process that Jesus lays out. True forgiveness towards someone must always involve confession and repentance. You see, this is where I think we get things mixed up. It's a one-way street for me to forgive. God tells me to forgive. Christ has forgiven me. Not because of what I do, but because of what he's done. So when someone hurts me, I can forgive them. Now, reconciliation is a two-way street. See, we always confuse the two. We always think forgiveness is a, a two-way street. It's not. See, I don't need anybody else to react for me to forgive somebody. But if I want to be reconciled to someone, then two people have to get involved. And we've got to remember that. And so forgiving others is costly. God's forgiveness toward us is free. But listen, it's not that it wasn't amazingly expensive. See, the grace of God is free, but it's not cheap. Don't miss that. And by the way, forgiveness is not forgetting. Oh, I hate that little worldly cliche, forgive and forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Jeremiah 31, 34, this is, listen to the words of God. I will forgive their iniquity, notice, and I will remember their sin no more. The verse that we often love to quote out of Psalm, Psalm 103, right? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. We need to understand that our English word means as it relates to God. You see, God can't forget. He's omniscient. He knows everything. What he's saying is... I choose to not remember. That is not a memory word. It's a covenant word. I will never treat you as your sins deserve. That's what God is saying. Why or how can he say that? Because of Jesus Christ. And so now, think about what you've hurt, been hurt by. Think about some abuse you've suffered. Some emotional trauma you've walked through. Some physical abuse you've had. Some mental abuse you've had. This should give you freedom. To remember what God has done for you. And forgiveness does mean, by the way, not taking vengeance into our own hands. 
Forgiveness means trusting God with his will. Kind of what this passage teaches us to pray. But for also, forgiveness means we love our enemy. That's why I started with that Corey Tin Boone story. Jesus commanded this. This is not optional. I've had many visitors come from the mainland here to, to, to Newfoundland, and they, they often comment to me about how we drive here in Newfoundland. And I tell them, yeah, uh, stop signs here are suggestions. All right? And we yield at stop signs and stops at yields. All right? That's just the way we do it in Newfoundland, all right? But you see, when God says, forgive your enemies, love your enemies, that's not, I suggest, that is, I command, because I have loved you. You got to personally own, I was once an enemy of God, and yet God loved me. It means to want them to know the same forgiveness you've received. That's why Daniel prayed that we are beggars who've simply found food, who want to tell other beggars where to find it. Because God forgave you, you are now free to forgive others. And listen, we have a responsibility to take that initiative. And you've got to do that early in your offenses. Remember what, what the writer of Hebrews said, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without, with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Notice this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, when you just rehearse your hurt, guess what? The only one miserable is you. Because you're the one playing it out over and over. And by the way, the deep hurt and the deeper the hurt, the more time it's going to take to work through forgiveness. But don't become discouraged. The Lord will walk with you every step of the way. Always focus on the gospel. That's why he said, when you pray, do this every day. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those that trespass against us. God offered his son to bear the wrath of our sin. And that is why confession to God is the beginning of the process. Do you want to learn how to let go of your hurts and your bitterness and your resentment? Then you start by confessing to God that you always need more forgiveness. You do. Because it gives you perspective. Come before Him. Admit any resentment. Don't be afraid to go to God with this. Acknowledge that that is sin. Lay your anger and your hurt before the Lord. Let Him begin to heal you and your broken heart. Do you remember what Corey Tin Boone said? As that guard was there with the hand out. What's she doing? She's thinking, but she's praying. Lord, I don't want to put my hand out. But I know what you've done for me. Husbands, can you do that for your wife? Wives, can you do that for your husbands? Moms and dads, can you do that for your kids? Kids, can you do that for your moms and dads? Hey, brother, can you do that for your sister or sister for your brother or for your other brother or your other sister, for your neighbor or that boss who's not easy to please or hard to get along with or that person or that neighbor that's done something to you? Forgiveness brings freedom. Freedom from the agitation. Freedom from the resentment. And working through the process, you'll be able to see the one who hurts you through eyes of compassion. I'm learning, I'm still learning, that when I pray every day and ask God to forgive me, and then I pray and ask God to help me forgive other people, and I name them. I name them. That's why I love to read the Psalms so much. I love how the Psalm writers argue with God in prayer. 
They tell God how they're feeling. They say at times, God, it feels like you're not present. Or, Lord, why does it seem that the guilty seem to have a better life than I do? And they argue back and forth, and God never ever chides them for being honest. But yet every time the psalmist comes to the end, he'll say, now I've got a better perspective. Now I've got a new understanding. And that leads us to our final petition. Notice at the last of it, once you've prayed for your chief spiritual need, then you can pray for your sanctification need. And with this I'll close. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation. So really, what is Jesus saying? We finish praying for the freedom from the very thing that drives us to pray for forgiveness in the first place. Do you see the wisdom of God here? Get, giving into temptation is sin. Being tempted is not sin. Giving into temptation is sin. Something that has to do with the former petition as well, namely, Lord, keep me from bitterness. Lord, as you forgive me and as I forgive others, then keep me. Don't lead me into the way of bitterness, but deliver me from that evil. This is really a admission request. We're saying to God, I can't stay away from sin in my own strength, and I'm going to need you and your Spirit's power every second of this day to live the life of holy thankfulness I know your name deserves, and I want to give it glory. And so that's why we do it. And by the way, that's why prayer is also communal. That's why we're supposed to do it together. That's why you're supposed to do it as couples and as families and as friends and as a church. Because notice, this prayer means that we will face hardship and temptation. God wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't say, pray and lead us not into temptation if he didn't already assume. You're going to face it. You know, I don't know about you, my friend Ms. McConnell just wrote a book recently, and the title of the book says, I've gotten saved, now is what, why, now, why is now life so hard? I don't know if you've experienced that as a Christian, but life seems a lot more difficult sometimes and challenging as a Christian than when I choose to just leave rebelliously, right? But remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice, not escape it in the sense of just never face it, but you'll be able to walk through it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And so friends, as we stop together, brothers and sisters, for those of you that say, you're a professing Christian, here it is, here's my Captain Obvious moment of my sermon, will you pray to God? Will you pray? Now I don't mean pray as in like, you know, the fire hose you see at the hospital, break in case of emergency. I mean pray every day, often. Help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to be forgiving. Help me not to give in to temptation. Will you learn to express and communicate with the only one who will hear you? I want you to see the joy and the opportunity, the mercy and the grace that prayer offers you. You see, I want you to see that prayer is meant to change us. Get this now, folks. Listen, in prayer, you don't change God. In prayer, God changes you. But how often do we pray going, I think I can change God's mind. I think I can get him to do what I want him to do. No, a real prayer changes us. 
And so I want you to leave here with these things and then I'm done. Number one, we are to bring our spiritual need to God in total dependence on Him. So why don't you practice today, maybe for the first time in a long time, from the youngest of you to the oldest of you. And sometimes the youngest of you in this room could teach the older people about this. Just go to God and be honest. Have you ever listened to a child pray for a bike? They pray for a bike with such raw honesty. I really want it. I have no way to get it. I need, absolutely need somebody else to do it for me. But how often do you and I go to God as adults and we hedge our bets? We don't say honestly what we're asking for. We're not honest because we'll say, Lord, would you help me with my finances? But, oh, and just in case, you know, while I'm waiting for you to answer me, I'll try to take care of my own finances. How often do we do that? We pray in faith to a God who is our Father. And He not only has the power, but He will use His power to meet our daily needs. So the question is, do you trust God to do this? See, the reason I think a lot of us are prayerless in our Christian lives is because we don't really trust God. Oh, we, we sing about it and we act about it. But I'm getting old enough now where I can start saying out loud what I'm thinking and get away with it a little bit more. And the truth is, I often don't pray because I don't trust God. Number two, prayer is about community and its focus is on forgiveness and reconciliation. When was the last time you prayed with your spouse or your family and you prayed for forgiveness? You prayed for reconciliation? You prayed for restored relationships. Jesus is teaching us that true prayers are those who have truly experienced the gospel and have been so transformed by it, we actually pray that God would strengthen us to forgive like we've been, for, been forgiven. Now that's a radical way to pray. What if we acted like that? And what if we prayed that? And don't miss this. This verse, these verses are a template, a design, a roadmap. Don't call it the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. This is a model for prayer. Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 15 is a model. He shows us that His grace and His mercy poured out on us from the physical to the spiritual. Jesus teaches us to come to God as Father, but to come with a sense of who God is and what God's will is for us. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says what he does. Since then, we have a great high priest. Now notice this. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. If that's reality, here's what you're supposed to do. Hold fast to your confession. We sang very deliberately. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The three in one. So hold fast to your confession. Why? Because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you realize when you pray to Jesus and you say, I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. I'm angry. This isn't fear. God doesn't sit up in heaven and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is the one that was betrayed with a kiss. He knows. But one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, this is the hope of the gospel. Everywhere we fail, Christ has succeeded on our behalf. 
See, we always focus about Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. But get the first part. He came and he lived the life you and I couldn't live. Every frustration you have with life, every failure you're aware of, every way you've been hurt or damaged or hurt yourself or damaged yourself, Jesus lived that perfectly on your behalf. That's why this idea of what's called the imputed righteousness of Jesus is so important. When you get saved, he doesn't just forgive you of everything. He now credits you with all of his righteousness. So you never have to be afraid to go to him and say, I'm here again and I need more. I have two grandkids now. And Theo is just two years old. What I love about watching my grandson is it never enters his mind that when he comes to me, I will not give him something. It never enters his little mind. When Debbie brings him downstairs a couple times a day to come see me in my office, he just runs and you're going to and the hands are out and the smiles on and he knows he just assumes Grampy is going to give me something you know what I actually rue the day when he's old enough to wonder well Grampy give me something today and the reason that we are often so prayerless is because we honestly think I'm going to go and maybe God won't give me no friends he always will give you He always will. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus teaching us that God, the God of the universe, meets us in prayer and brings us to himself. And with that kind of focus, a God focus, and a proper me focus, is joined in prayer, because in prayer we pour ourselves out to him. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know him, the first honest prayer you can pray is, Lord, I need you. But since I think I'm looking at mostly at people who would say they're Christians, maybe you've got to get back and say for the first time in a long time, Lord, I need you. Friends, if you and I are going to learn and practice praying like this, I promise you this, it'll change us. It'll change the lives of those around us. But it'll always come back to, do you believe? That's the power for giving prayer. Will you and I believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, help me to practice now what I have preached about. And again, Lord, I pray that my friends and my family will have heard a better sermon than I can preach. Lord, it's a hot summer day in the middle of August. So many of these people, I know them. I can look into their faces and I know that they're dealing with things either at home or at work, in a marriage, at family. Some are waiting on documents. Some are waiting for the sale of a home. Some are waiting for bills to be paid. Some are struggling through health issues. Some are wrestling with mental health issues. Father, some are crying out to you because they've been hurt. Some are sitting here right now hurting. Lord, many of us pretend. Many of us try to act strong when we're weak. Lord, I do think many of us struggle with fear and pride. Oh God, help us to believe the power of your word today. Help us to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, Lord. And forgive me and us our debts as we forgive those that have hurt us and failed us and 
worked against us. And then, Lord, help us to stay away from bitterness and temptation that makes us sin. And before you know it, we're hurting ourselves all over again. And then, Lord, help us to be like a shampoo bottle, just to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, if there's someone here that needs love or prayer, may they find the courage to come and ask for it. But Lord, as we go into our day, into another summer week, Lord, help us to pray often this week. Help this not to be just checklist Sunday where we've done something and now we're just going to go on back into the regular routine and habits of life. But Lord, help your spirit to change us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said,